Messiah. Well, let's open up our Bibles today to Luke chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, um, it's good to to follow along. So maybe you can raise your hand and, and one of the ushers will bring one to you. As we look today at the baptism of Christ and the genealogy of Christ and then the temptation of Christ. And, you know, in looking at the life of Christ, um, I want to emphasize and hopefully, you know, I can do the same in my life is that as we're studying the Bible, we really just want to see God. You know, we want to see him. We want to see his beauty, his majesty. And and then what we do is we we follow him. But first, before we, you know, say, hey, I got to change and I got to do this and I got to get my act together. Before we do that, first, let's just look at him. And let's just see him for who he is. And then what ends up happening is we fall in love with him. And then when we love him, we'll obey him. Let's make sure we don't put the cart before the horse. And look at how awesome our Lord is. It says right here in verse 21, it says, When all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also was baptized. And while he prayed, the heaven was opened. And the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven which said, You are my beloved son, and you I am well pleased. We've been speaking about uh, the ministry of John the Baptist and how he was out there in the Jordan and and just thousands of people were coming to him. And uh, God was starting a new work. It was the coming of of the Messiah. And it's a beautiful thing when you see what took place. Um, And here we find that Jesus now begins his ministry. And um, we see that what he does is he comes out and kind of surprising in in one sense that he came out to be baptized as well. Now, a lot of people wonder, well, why was Jesus baptized? Because really, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. And Jesus had nothing to repent of. Well, if you read over in Matthew chapter 4, you read the whole uh, way it went down. Um, When Jesus came to be baptized to John, John said, no, I I can't baptize you. I'm not worthy to baptize you. Um, And and Jesus said, no, I need to get baptized. He said, permit it to be so, for thus it is necessary for us to fulfill all righteousness. I mean, ultimately, it was part of the Father's plan for Jesus to be baptized But there's probably a few reasons that Jesus got baptized. Number one is he um, gave us an example to follow. He got baptized. And as we are Christians, uh, we're called to to do what he did. We're called to follow his example. He said, permitted to to be so, for thus is fitting for me to fulfill all righteousness. Uh, Number one, he's an example. Number two, he identified with the sins of the people. You know, and when you read the Bible, one of the beautiful things you see about the godly men is that they, you know, they went right in uh, to the thick of things. They weren't like the Pharisees separating themselves from all the, you know, sinners. No, Jesus identified himself with sinners. He went right where they were. And it's a beautiful thing. And so, number one, as an example, number two, to identify with us as sinners. And then number three, and this is probably the primary reason, And that is to identify with the ministry of John the Baptist. Because when Jesus got baptized, what that would do is that that would now link him to the message of John. 
And John had been saying that the Messiah is coming. Get ready. Let your hearts be right. And Jesus said, Amen. Here I am. And it's kind of cool when you look at that, Jesus identifying with the amazing ministry of John the Baptist. But his baptism was definitely a little different. Because again, look what we read right there in verse 21. It says, And while he prayed, the heaven was opened. That's cool, huh? And it wasn't just the clouds. And it wasn't just the, the immediate atmosphere. This is a different dimension. That while he prayed, the heavens were open. You know, I, I don't know about you. When you got baptized, uh, did you pray? Uh, no, you're like, no, I just held my breath, man. I knew that they were going to dunk me down. And, you know, you just kind of wanted some people, they, they maybe just wanted to kind of get it over with. Uh, to Jesus, uh, it was now the beginning of his ministry. It was, it was him on the mission to die for the sins of the world. I mean, he took his walk so seriously. And, you know, there he is getting baptized. And we don't know. In those days, some say you were baptized forward. You know, some just say straight down, backwards. I, I'm not really sure. But, you know, as he was getting baptized, he, he was praying. He was talking to his father. It was like a, a new chapter of his life was about to begin. And, and while he prayed, the Bible says that the heavens were opened. And they were opened for two reasons. Number one, the Holy Spirit would now descend upon him in bodily form. And number two, the father would speak his approval over his son. And it's such a beautiful thing when you see that right there. It says, while he prayed, the heaven was open and the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven which said, you are my beloved son and you I am well pleased. And, and you learn from the life of the Lord. Um, you see the life of the Lord. And it's such an awesome, awesome thing to behold. Um, we are going to look next at the genealogy of Christ. And we're going to see that Luke traces Jesus all the way back to Adam. Luke emphasizes the humanity of Jesus Christ. And in one sense, we all should understand that Jesus was a man. He was a human just like we were. You know, although he never lost his deity, Philippians chapter 2 says he emptied himself of those divine privileges. And so he came to earth and he lived and he functioned in the ministry uh, as a man, just like you and me. You know, of course, there were no differences. He didn't have a sin nature, but there were some similarities. And he knew as he was about to face the devil... And he knew that as he was about to embark on this mission to save mankind, that he needed the power of the Holy Spirit. And I wouldn't be surprised, although I can't be dogmatic, if when he was baptized, if he prayed a prayer that we always pray. I bet you he prayed, Father, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Because here I am. And I need you. You know, and that's the only way we're going to be able to face life, you guys. We can't face it on our own strength. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. 
You know, for us as Christians, we believe that the Holy Spirit is with you prior to salvation. Then when you become a Christian, he comes in you to live in you, John chapter 20. But then uh, subsequent to that, there's another experience that we can experience over and over and over again. And that is the upon experience or the filling of the Holy Spirit. That's why when you read Luke chapter 24, after Jesus had died and risen again, you know, he didn't tell his disciples, okay, go right now and preach. Get over there right now and get into the synagogues and do this. What did he tell them? He said, no, Luke 24, 49, tarry in Jerusalem. Wait. Don't do anything yet. Wait for the power of the Holy Spirit. Wait for the promise of the Father. Later in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he says, and you will be witnesses for me. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and then you'll be able to be witnesses to me. Judea, Samaria, Jerusalem, all the way to the ends of the earth. You see, the only way we can really do ministry, I don't care how, how good you are. I don't care. You know, some of us here, we have more of a tendency to be like, you know, they're always a good guy, a good kid growing up. They always have a good, you know, uh, nature and aspect about them. But, but I don't care how good you are or how good of an actor you are how much you know how to go through the church motions or, or life, how smart you are, what your education is. It doesn't matter how much money you have. The only way we're really going to be able to do ministry, and by that I mean reaching the heart and by the Spirit, is when God empowers us and we walk in His strength and not ours. I mean, if Jesus needed it, I don't know about you, but I'm desperate, man. I need that. I need the power of the Holy Spirit to be a husband. I need the power of the Holy Spirit to be a dad, to be a friend, to be a minister. We need the Holy Spirit in our life. Because for Jesus, we know that his destiny was to die on the cross. But you have a destiny as well. There's something, there's things that God has made you specifically to do. In life. And our prayer is, my prayer is that we would finish that race. And so we need the power of the Holy Spirit. And I'm sure Jesus was, you know, praying for the power of the Holy Spirit. And and then we also read that when the heavens were open, there was a voice that came from heaven. And it said right here, the Father said to him in Luke three twenty two, You are my beloved son. In you I am well pleased. Man, sometimes, you know, I I wish that we had more details, you know. I wonder, and I know this is kind of out there, man, so forgive me if I get too far out there. But I wonder, I mean, it's such a mystery about Jesus and him being a man and in the ministry. I wonder if he wasn't like 100% sure whether or not he was pleasing to his father. I don't know. I'm not sure. Maybe he did. But, you know, there's something about a father's approval that a son needs, that a daughter needs, that a child needs. And at this juncture in his life, Apparently, Jesus needed to hear that. That when the Father spoke from heaven, he said to him, you know, you're my beloved son, and in you 
I am well pleased. And then if you read the other accounts in Matthew and Mark, he didn't just say that, you are my beloved son and you I am well pleased. He then, the father, said to everyone, this is my beloved son. In him I am well pleased. And there's that something that Jesus needed, the, the words from the father and the power of the Holy Spirit that would allow him to carry on in the ministry and to start this new chapter in life. You know, and, and I want to encourage you guys to know that those two things are available to all of us here. You know, you can have the same power of the Holy Spirit that Jesus had. And you can have the same approval from the Father that Jesus had. You know, number one, you are approved because you're in Christ. You know, when God looks at you and if you're a Christian, he is pleased with you. You are accepted in the beloved. And I was telling one of the, the, the sisters earlier today how I went searching uh, this week for a song that we used to sing a long time ago uh, just about how um, I receive your love. Because I, I was like going through my devotions and I was telling the Lord, Lord, I know that really the only thing that's going to change me is a deep, firm understanding of your unwavering love for me. I know that. And so then this old song came into my mind. I would sing it to you, but I don't want to offend you guys, ma'am. But it's a song that talks about how I receive, I receive his love. And that love will change us. Now, a couple of things about this. Number one, though, you know, we need to have the heart to be dependent upon the Holy Spirit. I want to just say this real quick, okay? Some people think that the way you receive the power of the Holy Spirit is by living a perfect life, okay? Let me tell you something. You will frustrate yourself until you die. Because did you know this, that you can't live the life apart from the power of the Holy Spirit? Did you know that? Can any of you here live the life without the power of the Holy Spirit? No. The key is this. Are you dependent upon the Holy Spirit? Do you want the Holy Spirit? Because once you realize that you can't do it on your own strength, then you'll cry out. But if you think you're doing okay and you're going to earn the Holy Spirit, then you're never going to have the Holy Spirit in that way. But when you realize, Lord, I need you, I can't, I need you, then he's going to come and he's going to fill you. And you pray and you pray and you pray, Luke chapter 11. And so you need the power of the Holy Spirit. And you also need to have a heart to be pleasing to the Father. Obviously, Jesus now is 30 years old. And think about this, man. He has lived a beautiful life for the Father. And so the Father here, he tells them, I am so pleased with you, my son. And although we can't be perfect, I do want to encourage you to be proper, to don't mess around, to don't play games, to do your best, not to be a Pharisee, but to be a real lover of God and a real lover of people and to do the work that God's called you to do. You see, we learn from the baptism of Christ and then we also learn from the genealogy of Christ, because it says in verse 23, now Jesus himself began his ministry at about 30 years of age, being as was supposed 
And now we get into the genealogy of Christ. There's a lot of hard names. Does anybody want to read this for me? I'm going to read it. Uh, and my son always asks me, he's all, Dad, are you sure you're pronouncing that right? No, <laughs> I'm not sure. Okay, I'm going to just do phonetics, okay? Anyways, uh, Jesus began his ministry at about 30 years of age, being as was supposed the son of Joseph, the son of Heli, the son of Mathat, the son of Levi, the son of Melchi, the son of Jana, the son of Joseph, the son of Mattathiah, the son of Amos, the son of Nahum, the son of Esli, the son of Nagai, the son of Maath, the son of Mattathiah, the son of Semei, the son of Joseph, the son of Judah, the son of Joannes, the son of Risa, the son of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the son of Neri, the son of Melchi, the son of Adi, the son of Kosam, the son of Elmadam, the son of Er, the son of Jose. I was talking to Jose earlier. I'm like, hey, did you know you're in the genealogy of Jesus? And he's like, man, I've read this so many times. I never, know, I never saw that. <laughs> the son of Eliezer, the son of Jarim, the son of Mattath, the son of Levi, the son of Simeon, the son of Judah, the son of Joseph, the son of Jonan, the son of Eliakim, the son of Melia, the son of Minan, the son of Mattatha, the son of Nathan, the son of David. Now notice here um, we have the lineage of uh, Jesus through Nathan. In Matthew, it's a lineage through uh, Solomon. And so you see the distinction there. The son of Jesse, the son of Obed, the son of Boaz, the son of Salmon, the son of Nashon, the son of Aminadab, the son of Ram, the son of Hezron, the son of Perez, the son of Judah, the son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham. Now again, Matthew just takes it to Abraham. But watch, Luke goes farther. The son of Terah, the son of Nahor, the son of Seru, the son of Ru, the son of Peleg, the son of Eber, the son of Shelah, the son of Canaan, the son of Arphaxad, the son of Shem, the son of Noah, the son of Lamech, the son of Methuselah, the son of Enoch, the son of Jared, the son of Mahalal, the son of Canaan, the son of Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, who was the son of God. And so Luke traces his lineage through Mary all the way back to Adam. And if you remember, Luke's emphasis is what? The humanity of Christ. Now, there's probably a lot in the meaning of the genealogy. I kind of want to cover a little more ground, but if you're interested, you can probably listen to Chuck Missler, and he'll probably tell you a little bit more about all these things. But you go through it, and all these individuals are named. Of course, not every person in the lineage, the son of, could also be a grandchild or a great-grandchild. But here we see uh, Luke emphasizing his Humanity. Now, in verse 23, we read that Jesus began his ministry at about 30 years of age. Now, you wonder why. Why was it that Jesus began his ministry at such what we might consider to be a late age? Um, and there's uh, probably a couple of reasons. Leviticus chapter 4 tells us that you could not serve as a priest until you reached the age of 30. Um, and so that's a possibility. Uh, another possibility might be just, you know, the fact that it would take years of preparation. Because although Jesus' ministry was only three, three and a half years, it was the biggest battle in the history 
of mankind. And I've learned over the years how important preparation is. And so he was praying and he was reading and he was studying and he was preparing. And we see a little inkling of that when he was there in the temple, remember, asking questions and answering questions. And so it would take years of preparation. And so maybe it's because of the Levitical law, chapter 4, about being a priest at the age of 30. Maybe it was because there was elements of preparation But one of my favorite reasons that commentators have conjured up is maybe it's because he was simply taking care of things at home. Because his father Joseph had died. And him, being the firstborn, he had family responsibilities. And so, you know, the qualification for the ministry is the family. That's the priority. First our relationship with God, then our home, and then the ministry. And you see, Jesus is beautiful. And more than likely, that's what happened, is he took care of things until it was ready, until his brothers were ready, until his mom was taken care of. And then it was the Father's perfect time for him to begin his ministry. You know, we read this, And we're blessed by the fact that this is the one that we follow. In looking at this, I think we learn so much. And I want to encourage you guys, you know. And I know home is the toughest place. Because a lot of times at home, we let our guards down. You know, our wife is gracious to us or our husband is gracious to us. Even our kids are very gracious to us, aren't they? You know, you can beat them up and they still love you, man. You know, it's amazing. Um... I don't know. Don't beat them up, though, okay? Let's put our hearts where they belong. Let's take care of our homes. Let's have a heart for the family. And then let's go forward in the ministry. I think we learn from Jesus' baptism. I think we learn from Jesus' genealogy. I know we'll definitely learn from Jesus' temptation. Because look what you read next. It says in verse 1, Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for 40 days by the devil. You know, Mark tells us that Jesus was driven into the wilderness. He was led by the Spirit into the place of happily ever after, right? No, he wasn't. And I wish that's the way it was for Christians on earth, but it's not. The Spirit of God will lead you into the wilderness. And just in case you're wondering, well, what kind of wilderness was this? Was this like, you know, the mountains over there with all the trees and stuff? No, this was a 35-mile by 15-mile desert. It was horrendous. But apparently Jesus um, liked to go there. Um, You know, you look at this, and we're going to see later that Jesus is going to be tempted by the devil. Did Jesus go into the wilderness looking for the devil? You know, I don't think so. Um, If you would, go over to Luke 5, since we're so close. Just turn over a couple of pages to Luke chapter 5. Look what it says in verse 16. It says, So he himself often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. And I'm sure that This was not the first time. I'm sure that this was Jesus' heart because 
I know for some of us here, it's even our heart, you know, where we just want to get away, where we just need to get away and pray. And, you know, the Spirit led him. It drove him. He knew that things were happening now, that the time had come. You know, and I don't know where you're at in your life, but if you haven't withdrawn in the wilderness lately, I I always say the time has come. It's a new year. There's new challenges, new opportunities. We're wondering, well, how do we face these things? What do I do? And you just keep living your life without really just going to the wilderness and listening to the Lord. What is God saying to you? Here Jesus went into the wilderness, undoubtedly to seek the Father, to pray regarding the ministry. And as he was there, we're going to read about three temptations, but he was literally, it says in verse 2, tempted for 40 days by the devil. Now, more than likely, none of us here have ever been tempted by the devil. We've been tempted by demons, probably, and a lot of us here are tempted by ourselves. It's our flesh. But there's this battle that goes on. This was the devil himself. But notice again what it says in verse 2. And in those days he ate nothing. And afterward, when they had ended, he was hungry. And so, again, I'm assuming that Jesus went into this saying, I will fast for 40 days. There's something about that number 40 when you read the Bible that has relevance to it. We know that Moses fasted for 40 days twice, Exodus 24 and 34. We know that Elijah fasted for 40 days as well. And so more than likely, Jesus said, you know what, I'm going to fast for 40 days. Have any of you here ever done that? Just out of curiosity. That's tough, huh? He fasted for 40 days. But then the 40 days were over. And so if you're fasting for 40 days and the 40 days are over, question, what comes next? You eat, right? I mean, that's what you do. You eat. And so what happens? The devil comes and it says right there, And afterward, when they had ended, in other words, the 40 days had ended, the fast had ended, he was hungry. And so Luke makes that clear. (laughs) And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. But Jesus answered him, saying, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. You know, I've got to be honest with you guys, man. I, I, I tried teaching this in the first service and it was so difficult for me because um, I think like I'm standing on holy ground and I don't think I can do it justice, but I think there are certain things that we can glean from it. This is heavy, what's happening right here. And first we want to see Jesus, how he overcomes temptation and just worship him for that. And then we also want to see Jesus as he overcomes temptation and, and try our best to do the same. You know, what do you do when you're vulnerable? And sometimes you've got to admit there's those moments when you're more vulnerable. You know, maybe you haven't eaten for a while and you become grouchy. Some people are like that when they're hungry. I don't know why, but I've seen that. When they don't eat, they become grouchy. And they even say to me, I'm sorry, I'm grouchy right now. I just have to eat something. And I'm thinking, you know what, that's not right. Um, some people, they get grouchy when they get tired. Huh? Some of you here are like that. My wife says, I'm not like that. I, I, I like that. She says, I'm like that. I don't think so. Anyways, you know, we have those moments of susceptibility, you know. Um, 
There's a lot of things. You know, even our sexual purity. It's like you're in heat and you can't stay holy. What's up with that? Oh, I'm more susceptible. I'm more vulnerable. It's only natural. Yeah, well, it was only natural for him to eat some bread right now. I mean, I'm sure the father wouldn't have, you know, I don't know, been upset with him just to feed himself after 40 days of fasting. But the question is this. What is the will of the father? What is the perfect will of the father? And I think that's where we meet this first temptation is that after the the 40 days is over, you know, and Jesus could have turned the stones to bread and I'm sure the devil made him smell it. And you know how good, you know, fresh bread smells and even looks and all that, you know, but it just, even though it may have been, I guess, natural, um, it wasn't the will of God. And that's why Jesus said, you know what? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word, in Matthew 4, verse 4, every word that proceeds forth from the mouth of God. That's how I'm going to live my life. Not based on what my body's telling me to do, and not based on what might seem natural to the world and to everyone else. I'm going to live my life based on every word that proceeds forth from the mouth of God. And I think that's very important for us. And I think for some of us here, this is a test that we, uh, unfortunately, uh, we don't pass. And if you don't pass this test, you're not going to go any farther. Here we see Jesus was tempted in the physical. And he was tempted in the will of God and the will of Satan. You know, and I think that there are many of us here who can learn from this because maybe this is right where you're at. You know, rather than fasting, you're feasting. And you're not able to bring your animal appetites under control. And like I said earlier, rather than, you know, holiness, you're in heat and you fall from the call that God has for your life. Now, maybe you've blown it in the past, but now you've got the rest of your life in front of you. You've got to deal with temptation. And you've got to ask God to help you overcome. Lord, how do I overcome? Well, make a, a decision right now that I'm going to live my life based on every word that proceeds forth from the mouth of God. Not what's natural, but what God wants from me. And even food can be an issue. And sometimes food might be something... You know, just to kind of measure this whole thing. That's why fasting is so important. Proverbs twenty three twenty one it says, For the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty, and drowsiness will clothe the man with rags. Some people, they drink, and they know they shouldn't, and they eat too much. They sleep too much. That's what the Bible says. Paul, in writing to the Philippians, he spoke of men who missed the mark. And we read in Philippians 3.19, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly. <laughs> Believe it or not. You know, this may have been at the heart of Eli's fall. We know definitely that it was what took Esau down. Remember in Genesis 25, he sold his birthright for food. And so every once in a while, I want to encourage you to fast. Okay, don't fast to lose weight. Okay, don't do it for that reason. Um, That's not what it's about. And that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about denying the flesh. 
Every once in a while, fast. Take a day off, unless your doctor says you can't. Maybe you should fast from your phone. I don't know. Somehow, fast. And, um, and just deny yourself. Maybe a day will go, or two days will go, and the Lord will do that work. Because the bottom line is, if we're not willing to fast, then we won't last. It's a biblical Christian discipline of the New Testament. Daniel 1.8, he says, the Bible says he purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies. And so, Manny, what you're saying is that if I want to be a real Christian, I can't have a double-double anymore? No, that's not what I'm saying. If you start getting along that weird mentality, you're going to miss out. Okay? Now, some of you here eat good for health reasons, and that's cool. But don't think there's a spiritual benefit from it. Okay? doesn't. As a matter of fact, they accused Jesus of being a glutton. Remember that? And so, believe you me, he grubbed. When it was time to grub, he grubbed. <laughs> and it was time to fast, he fasted. Why? Because he wanted to do the will of God. Sometimes when I'm eating with my friends, you know, and I hope I don't justify any sin or anything, but it's only because I want to be with them. I want to fellowship with them. When it's time to eat, eat. When it's time not to eat, not to eat. The bottom line is we have to do the will of of the Father. Jesus said in John 4:31, I have food to eat of which you do not know. And so the disciples said to one another, Hey, did someone bring him something to eat? And Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. And so for us, number one, and there's a lot here, and like I said, man, I feel so unable to really, you know, teach this because it's so deep. But I think one thing we see is the physical, the natural, deal with it and make sure your primary heart is to do the perfect will of God. Secondly, the perfect way of God. Because we read next, notice what it says in verse 5, and then the devil taking him up on a high mountain, he showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, all this authority I will give you and their glory for this has been delivered to me and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. And, you know, again, we don't know all the details of this, but in one sense, this is what Jesus was all about. This is kind of what Jesus was was working for that global glory, that planetary position to rule over people. Not to, uh, you, know, you know, necessarily flex his authority, but to lead them, to shepherd them, to be our king. And in one sense, the devil said, here's a shortcut. You know, and in looking at this, you have to have not only the perfect will of God, but it's got to be the perfect way of God. You know, you center this calling on your life or this thing that you want to do. And what do you do? You step out of the will of God and you do it in ways of, in which, in all reality, it's, it's carnality and it's compromise. And Jesus here, he, he just did not do that. You know, I don't know how the devil did it, but somehow he was able to take him up on a high mountain and he showed him, notice all the kingdoms of the world. And he showed him all this authority. And the pretty, it, probably, it probably looked pretty amazing. He says, I'll give it to you right here, right now. Instant, instantly. You don't have to go to the cross. I'll give it to you. 
And I think what ends up happening is our life is, number one, we get, we get tempted to do natural things. Well, of course, I'm just going to eat some bread when it wasn't the will of the God. Uh, we get tempted to do comfortable things. I won't take the high road. I won't deny myself because the ends justifies the means. And God says, no, the perfect will of God and the perfect ways of God. And that's where we see Jesus, our great pioneer, giving us the example on how to follow. Because ultimately what ends up happening is the one that you obey is the one that you worship. And it's kind of funny the way that the devil even said it. It'll all be yours. Just a little bitty bowing down. Just real brief. We'll make it real brief. Matthew said, if you just fall down, then it's all yours. And so what do we read in verse 8? Jesus again quoting from Deuteronomy. He said, get behind me, Satan. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. And that's our life. Worship is our life. The Bible says to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable worship, your reasonable act of service. And so how are you going to deal with temptation? You know, I thank God, if I'm not mistaken, most of you here are Christians. And when you die, you're going to go to heaven because you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ. Praise God for that. But along the way, there will be battles. And my prayer is that when temptation comes your way, that you will prevail, that we would finish the work. Because the devil is cunning. You know, maybe you're here today and you're thinking, well, Manny, I'm pretty smart. Are you smarter than the devil? I don't know. I don't know if you are. The devil's cunning. And he is crafty. And he will go fishing for you. What is it that lures you? What is it that attracts you? What is it that, what, what are you all about? And then one day he comes knocking. And unless we learn how to deal with temptation, unless we look at the Lord and see the way that he won the victory and get behind him, then we won't have any hope. And we see the way he prayed and the heavens were opened and the way the Holy Spirit came and empowered him. We see the way that he had a heart to please the Father. I do only those things that please him. And we see the way that in looking at his life, he only wanted to do the will of God, the perfect will and the the perfect way of God and just swinging his sword when Satan came at him. And then we see the last temptation right here. Because look what it says in verse 9. It says, Then he brought him to Jerusalem, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you to keep you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. You guys, we're living in some very, very interesting days. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if we are living in the days of apostasy. The days that in the church, many are falling away. 
You know, I look around, and I've been a Christian now for, you know, a little over 20 years, and I've seen a lot of people struggle. I've seen a lot of people, unfortunately, go down roads that they shouldn't go down. You know, God still loves them, but man, we should have a heart to finish the race. And so we need to know how to overcome temptation. You know, the last temptation right here is kind of an interesting one. Because remember, what did Jesus do whenever the devil came with the temptation? He would quote the word of God, right? It is written, Deuteronomy chapter 6, and then Deuteronomy chapter 10. And he would be quoting the word. And so what does the devil do? The devil says, oh, okay, I, I tell you what, I'm going to take you up to the top of the pinnacle of the temple. It would be 450 feet up in the air. That's high, man. It would be overlooking the Kidron Valley. And then he says, I'm going to quote to you the Bible. The Bible, Psalm 91, verse 11 and 12, it says that he's going to take care of you. And so jump. As a matter of fact, in those days, um, the, the people would talk about how when the Messiah would come, he would come in that way, in this you know, amazing way. And so it just everything adds up. Jesus, they're thinking you're going to come that way. And the Bible talks about how God will protect you. Uh, and so what does he do? He takes the Bible. And he twists it in order to try to destroy him. And you guys, be careful with that. Because you guys are Bible thumpers. I know you are. I know you love the word of God. And you're like, hey, that's my final authority. And then one day what ends up happening, you're like, oh, God gave me a verse. God gave you a verse. He gave you a verse. I thought he gave you verses. (laughs) I thought he gave you the whole Bible. And here you are, you're taking a verse and you're applying it to your own life for your own convenience because you want to do what you want to do. And yet when you take that verse and you examine it with the rest of the Bible, it's not right. Be careful when you say, I got a verse. I mean, God can give you a verse. Don't get me wrong, man, but it needs to line up with the full counsel of God. And what did Jesus say? It is written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. I'm not going to do a foolish leap off the pinnacle of the temple because according to the rest of the scriptures, it's not biblical. And what we find is that there's a temptation in the perfect will of God. There's a temptation in the perfect way of God. And there's even a temptation in the perfect word of God. And so what do we need to do? Well, we need to stand strong. That's why it's important to know your word and and to have a heart to love the Lord, you guys. You know, when I look at Christ and I see the way he defeated the devil, I just worship him. I thank him because this devil right here is the same devil in Genesis chapter 3 that brought everything down, that brought sin, that brought death, that brought hell. But Jesus has defeated the devil. And of course, we know when we read this right here, look what it says in verse 13. Now, when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. James chapter 4, verse 7 says, Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will split. That's what it says in the recent translations, man, because he doesn't like it. But he will take off. He'll come back, but he'll take off. For us... Jesus defeated the devil. None of us here 
are able to defeat the devil on our own strength. And so what do we need to do? We need to get behind Jesus. Stay in the will of Jesus. Stay in the ways of Jesus. Stay in the word of Jesus. And as we do, those things that we are not smart enough to detect, I don't care how long you've been a Christian, I don't care how well you know the Bible, we're not smart enough to detect. God will enable us to avoid. The Bible says, Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Question, when will you receive the crown of life? When you die. Or when you get raptured. It would be nice to get raptured, right? We're not going to receive the crown of life until this life is over. Until then, endure temptation. How? Just line yourself up with our Lord Jesus Christ. God loves you guys so much. You know, God loves us. He wants to bless your life. He wants to strengthen you. He does it by showing you how awesome He is and even how amazing you can be in Him. You guys, I encourage you to exalt God. Exalt God and enjoy God. Let Him bless you by living that life with a heart that's after him. We see Jesus and we just we just worship him. And then we say, Lord, I want to be like you. And maybe you're here today and, and you've blown it and things haven't been going all that great. And you know what you know what I'm not gonna say that's okay, but I'm just gonna say that in one sense that's what we're here for today. That this is not a museum for saints. This is a hospital for sinners. And we can come today and we can ask God to give us a new start, uh, to cleanse us, to wash us, to forgive us, to strengthen us. And as we partake of communion, um, I pray we would do that. That wherever we're at today, that we would, we would just cast ourselves at the feet of Jesus. Lord, we thank you so much for your word, your love, your grace in our life. For your baptism, Lord, for your genealogy, even your temptation. Your word says you were tempted in all points and yet without sin. You know how to help us, Lord, when we get tempted because you've been there. You are an awesome God. Father, I pray for your people. I pray for myself, Lord that we would be swept away in a relationship with you, in a love relationship, not a religion. And I thank you so much, Lord, for just uh, your people. As I look out into the congregation, I see beautiful, beautiful people. Bless them. And even now, Lord, as we get to partake of communion, I pray that you bless this time as we think about you, as we remember you, what you did, Jesus, on that cross for us. Please, Lord, bless this time. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to partake of communion together, and then 
if you would just hold on and